everyone, and welcome to the Inclusion Podcast. This is Dr. Julie Costin, and I am here today talking about the journey of moving towards more inclusive practices. And who I have as a guest is something I'm just incredibly excited about. Um, I have Tanya Frederick with me, who is the Director of Student Services at Elmbrook Schools in Wisconsin. And Tanya and I have worked together for about six years. Um, I'll kind of go back, Tanya, to describe how we first met, but Tanya had come to the Summer Leadership Institute in Syracuse, and she was this really engaged learner, and they were really doing this work, right? And afterwards, when I was done presenting, she came up to me and said, we are going to do this together in Wisconsin. I don't think it was a question. No, it was a statement. (laughs) And I was like, well, let's let's think about that. Maybe, you know, here's my email. I thought maybe she might not email me, but she was like, no, 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 no. We don't need to email. Here's what we need is to create a schedule and decide when we're going to do this. So Tanya and I have been doing professional development in Wisconsin together um, at iSummit, which is like the Summer Leadership Institute for those of you who are in New York, but it's in Wisconsin in the Midwest. So if you're a listener from the Midwest, you need to know about iSummit. And it happens the week before the Summer Leadership Institute. This year, so this is 2019, it's going to be July 30th through August 2nd. Yep. Right? Exactly. Okay, good. So um, Tanya and I do that work together, and we also kind of serve as learning partners in life. So sometimes, well, all the time, I text her, she texts me about big ideas that we have, and um, we kind of support each other that way. So the reason I invited Tanya here is because she has really, over the past seven years, taken Elmbrook School District along with her team to new places around inclusive education. And I work with administrators all the time that say, how do you do it? What problems do you face? Those kind of things. So I'm going to pause for a minute and let's welcome Tanya to the podcast. Thank you so much, Julie, for having me. And I'm so excited that you're here in Wisconsin and that we were able to do learning together today and end the day with this discussion. Yeah. So Tanya and I just spent the day today working with staff and having incredible discussions. And we thought, let's do it. Let's do a podcast today. So how we've structured it is I have questions to ask Tanya. And if you're a listener out there, and I think what you should probably do is get some paper and have a seat and pull together all the ideas that Tanya is is sharing with us because she's going to give us a lot of the shortcuts and a lot of the ways to think about really helping staff understand inclusive practices and take them to the next level no matter where you are on your journey. So make sure that you share this podcast with every administrator in your life that might be moving things towards more inclusive practices. Okay, anything else before we get started? No, that's great. I'm okay. excited. Yeah, good. Okay, my first question um, is what do inclusive practices mean to you? So when we started having these conversations about how do we create more equitable systems, we really started to think about the word inclusion. Mm -hmm. And as we talked with educators, we found two things. One, most people had a negative connotation about inclusion because they either saw it as mainstreaming or integration Mm -hmm. or the island in the mainstream. They had some sort of preconceived conception about what inclusion was. The other thing that we realized is that people really focused on solely students with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And we really wanted to think about how do we create systems, practices, policies, um, just an approach to all kids that increased everyone's ability to belong and have equity and access for all. So how do we think about all marginalized groups? How do we take 
what are really good sound educational practices and make sure that they were accessible for all. And that this just wasn't another initiative that lived with certain groups of staff and certain groups of kids. Right. Um, and inclusive practices was really a vernacular, you know, seven to nine years ago that really wasn't very mainstreamed um, mm-hmm. in people's vocabulary. So we were really able to create meaning around it that met the needs of our um, population. Mm-hmm. So you purposefully, just to kind of add to that, you purposely use the phrase inclusive practices instead of inclusion yes. because as listeners know, the word inclusion can have all sorts of meanings and connotations and bring up things for people. Um, and so when you focus on practices, it allowed more people to be open in their thinking. Absolutely. And, and accessible to more students and families and to think mm-hmm. about who are your English language learners? Who are your students of color? You know, who are any students who maybe are not having the same sense of belonging? Mm-hmm. And maybe we have some um, unintentional barriers for access for them. And how do we just think really deeply about how do we all own all kids mm-hmm. and have practices that facilitate that? Beautiful. Okay, the next question I have for you, Tanya, um, I'm just going to give a little background. So I work with lots of different people, and they're in different places along this journey. And so how do you approach moving people towards inclusive practices, kind of no matter where they are? Mm -hmm. So your staff, your faculty are all in different places. So how do you approach moving people towards that? When we first started to have deeper conversations about what does... Um, education for all different types of students look like in our system, people right away started to ask us, tell me what to do and how to do it. (laughs) Right. And we really were intentional to back up. And um, I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek and his golden circle. Mm -hmm. And really the philosophy of if you start with why, if you really have a deep conversation about why do we want to do this, Um, Why do we feel this is the right work? What we have found is when people find their why, they will come up with compelling and amazing ways to figure out what they need to do and how they need to do it. And so we have just spent a lot of time about thinking about what is your mindset and what is your heart set around this work um, so that you can come together and create that collaboration. So if you haven't Googled Simon Sinek's Start With Why, I think it's a great video. And I think you actually started with the little TED Talk from him with your team, really explaining the why. Um, And just know that everybody comes to the why at a different point, right? Mm -hmm. So some people, as soon as they hear like, oh, inclusion is the law, they're like, got it. Some people need several stories and lived experiences of people with disabilities. Some people just need the data, some, right? And so mm-hmm. it just depends on who the person is. But when you get to the starting with why, you can get more people on board. Absolutely. And we were really intentional. And I think that's why I was so excited um, the day that I completely and totally accosted you after you <laughs> presented right. um, at the Schools of Promise in Syracuse was mm-hmm. I felt like You know, there is a recipe of this perfect blend of approaching the why from a multitude of angles. Mm -hmm. Um, The data, the stories, um, the law, um, people's past experiences, people's vision of the future. And if you can bring all of those things together, you are going to tap into people's hearts and minds Mm -hmm. at some point Mm -hmm. and be able to move forward, which again just leads them to do the really... Um, the big work of figuring out the what we should be doing and how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And once you get people to the why, the how is just about creativity. 
Yes. Right. Right. And really thinking about, um, we often would talk about like chaos from the perspective of like, like, oh my gosh, no one knows what to do. But flipping that on the side and saying, you know, we're not really sure what to do, but in that chaos is just creativity and (laughs) freedom and really taking some, um, making informed judgments and calculated risks to give people opportunities in in places and spaces that were never imagined before. Hmm. Beautiful. So what process do you go through to move from the what um, to the sort of to the how mm-hmm. we did some pretty traditional things we took the opportunity to do an equity audit mm-hmm. so we really dug into our data and we really looked at all of our performance data we looked at attendance we looked at discipline you know all the different things that you would do in an equity audit to look at your system from a ton of different angles and then looking at a gap analysis and saying where, where do the differences lie? Are there differences between um, students who are white and kids of color? Are there differences between mm-hmm. students who are disabled and students that are not disabled? You know, where do all those gaps happen? Um, and then how do we also think about what are our resources? And when I say resources, I don't just mean people. Mm-hmm. I think about materials. I think about, um, obviously, staffing. But also, you know, where are we putting our time and our energy? Um, and how are we doing that? And how do we begin to acknowledge where are some of our opportunities, but also where are our celebrations? You know, where are some things that are happening really well? So just that really deep dive into data and looking at it from a very non-judgmental way. Mm. It is what it is. This is our baseline. This is where we're going to start. And as we um, know better, we're going to do better. And thinking about how do we envision a different type of a future to have a different outcome for different um, categories of students. Hmm. I was recently working with a team and they shared this phrase with me. Just because I learned something new today doesn't mean I was wrong yesterday. Yes. And I think that's really important for people to hear um, is that when you move forward, it doesn't mean that we have to spend a ton of time beating ourselves up about the ways that we've done things in the past. It's just a moving forward. So you mentioned data. So data is really critical. But then how do you tell the story of the people impacted by the systems change? Because some people are moved by data, but other people need a story or a face or a person to hang these ideas on. Yes. And, you know, we're in a situation where we, if you look at us as a whole, as a system, mm-hmm. our data is very high. Mm-hmm. We are a very high performing school district. But when you pull it apart, we learned that we're really, really great for most, but not all. Yeah. And so how do we begin to pull that apart and start to tell the stories of um, students who are not thriving, students who need it to be different, students who talk about their experience, families who talk about their experience. So when we looked at that equity audit, obviously we spent a ton of time looking at the the number data, but then we also did uh, focus groups, we did interviews, Mm -hmm. we spent time with people to understand around what has been their experiences in our system. How does it feel to be in what might be considered an outgroup or not the norm? Um, How does it feel um, to have those experiences? How did it feel in elementary? How did it feel in middle? How did it feel in high school? We have parents that could tell us about that journey. Mm. And they also could tell us what their hopes and dreams were for the future. And so really thinking about not only what does our current data tell us that's factual, but also what do those experiences of our staff tell us, of our families, and also of students. And how how do we hold both of those things in our mind at the same time? 
I'm just thinking about the courage it takes to do that work. So literally you have to listen to stories that are maybe uncomfortable yeah. and you have to listen to stories. Obviously the ones that are celebratory aren't as hard to listen to. In fact, really important to share. Mm-hmm. Um, but how does that feel as an administrator really opening up and listening, like truly listening to the stakeholders in your Yes. I mean, I think that that's some of the biggest work is you have to be willing to um, hear people's perceptions um, and hear the stuff that's hard. I think one of the things that was really beneficial for us um, is that having somebody else, a third party, come in Mm -hmm. and facilitate some of this work. Mm -hmm. First of all, you eliminate the bias. Mm -hmm. Second of all, you eliminate that thing where um, people, parents will say, you're a really nice person. Like, I like you, (laughs) but I need to tell you this. And that takes a lot of courage. So sometimes having a third party person come in and do that Mm -hmm. really is helpful. I know you go into systems and you facilitate these processes. I've gone into other systems and done it for other people. Mm-hmm. I do think by having a third party that comes in and is able to just be that neutral, safe person who is just going to be really factual and, and matter-of-fact about things has been a really um, helpful piece mm-hmm. to eliminate some of the um, emotions that might interfere with being able to really hear and really um, internalize and think deeply about some of those things without feeling defensive or trying to explain it away. Mm. Yeah, right. So if you're someone who's thinking, I'd love to do an equity audit, but I don't really know how to go about that. Um, Tanya mentioned that we do that in inclusive schooling and Tanya does that too. Um, and we can do things in conjunction with one another also. So there's a lot of avenues if you're interested in getting an equity audit done. I find it to be pretty powerful because it's a it's a third party report that people mm-hmm. can take and use and, and um, use as a way to move the system forward. And we did our first one seven years ago, and then we did our second one two years ago. So we did um, a f- like five year increments, mm-hmm. um, and that was really exciting because. Um, we had the same person come back to do it, and um, she was really able to point out, wow, you, I, this is how it feels different. This is how it feels better. Mm. You know, we were talking about these really big stuff before, and now we're getting more granular, mm. and you can have more of a specific plan about how to address the things that um, need to be addressed moving forward. So a five-year cycle, it was really powerful. And, um, you know, once people went through that first round, And then hearing that second round five years later, staff were so excited about it and they wanted to hear because Mm. it wasn't about penalizing anybody. It wasn't about punishment. It wasn't about you were bad. It was about we need to keep moving forward. As you said in the beginning, it's a journey. Yeah. And so it was exciting. And so then you can record all that growth, which seems amazing. Yes. So talk about the growth related to structural changes. So what structural changes did you make to a system, to your system, to support moving things forward and really related to belonging? Mm -hmm. So what structural changes? One of the things that we found in the equity audit is our staff was struggling with belonging. Mm -hmm. Um, Our special education staff was not always feeling that they were fully embraced and included Mm -hmm. um, as part of the school, you know, when... And then, you know, in the district office, we were still living under that siloed system of there was a curriculum and instruction department, mm-hmm. and there was a special ed department. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of things were happening um, from a siloed perspective. So we did realign our um, central administrative office to a teaching and learning department. Mm-hmm. Um, we really worked hard to have more collective conversations so that things like, 
oh, we got a new math curriculum, and look, we forgot to get PD for the special education teachers in that new math curriculum. So really, you know, it's just it sounds silly, but when you think back, you're like, whoa, that just happened. Yeah. And so how do we continue to have more um, alignment? And also, you know, a big part of my work structurally was how did I grow and inform our curriculum instruction directors about what was good and best practices for all students mm-hmm. and vice versa? And how did they inform me and um, help me grow in my area of, you know, curriculum renewal and standards and just having a deeper understanding of those things? So that was a structural change that really then helped our building principals and our staff look at it and say, oh, this is about all students. I'm not just aligned to this area. This is about everybody, and I'm going to get information in those things. So, you know, still knowing that we have different roles and responsibilities, but we all have equal status. Right. Those are really important. And I think about, I'm just sort of reminded about co-teaching in that, like when I was a special ed teacher working with a general ed teacher, I became such a better teacher. Mm -hmm. And many reported that was true, the the opposite. So same thing at the administration is that we can learn from one another. I love that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people tell me that this work is great work, but it's really about more. So meaning more money, more staff, you know, if only we hired 30 more assist, educational assistants, we could do this work, or if only we got another million dollars, you know, something to that effect. And so what's your response to that? I think that everybody is living in the same world across um, the United States as far as funding, mm. right? We know that there's there's not a magic money tree. There's not going to be more money. So in that equity audit and that resource mapping, really looking at where do you spend your money. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we found was we had about 4% of our student population was being placed in alternative programming outside of our district. And when we looked at the amount of money that that was, and really thinking about, okay, how do we redistribute that funds? How do we reinvest that back into our system? Because every time you place a student out, the messages that you send to the family are, this child doesn't belong here because they have this profile. Teachers begin to learn through unintended consequences of students that look like this or have these needs, they don't go here. And so you just create this unintentional system of of placement and the money just follows. But by flipping that on its head, if you have a sixty to a hundred thousand dollar placement, we began to say like, what could we do reinvesting that money into resources to support that team, support that child, grow everyone's skills. So when the next student that comes along that has some similar needs or might have some, you know, commonalities to that, they're ready and they have what they need and they know how to do it. Um, so really thinking about how do we reinvest some of those things. So um, if for the listeners out there, if you're thinking about, huh, I don't know how many students did we outplace. What we mean by outplace is means that students are no longer educated within the context of the district. That means they go somewhere else, but so does the funding. And so Tanya used a kind of rough number of, let's just say it's $100,000. So you can do the math to figure out how many students are outplaced and then how much money is also outplaced. And so I know that Elmbrook really looked seriously because of their belief in inclusive services about returning students back to district and the funds followed. Yeah. Um, and so you went from about 4% to I think one and a half. We're at about one and a half percent right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we had we had students that had been placed out of the district since they were in like sixth grade. 
and we really said, you know, what what's the system that we had created and talking with the families through IP meetings and things about what's the vision of their future, what would they like to see, um, and have those collaborative conversations, and then really putting our energy into students who are currently with us, um, and instead of there being this kind of tracking or this route of, mm-hmm. at this point, you bank to the right and go to a different placement, how do we re-envision that future? So, um, you know, we, we have straddled both worlds for a while, mm-hmm. but we are slowly seeing that kind of funnel out of the district um, change. Mm-hmm. So you would answer the question, it's not about more money and more staff. You would say it's about the staff that you currently have and the money you currently have. But it's also about creative solutions to look to see where that money is headed um, and how you can maybe return it to your district. Yes. Okay. How do you redistribute it? Beautiful. Um, so who do you start with on the journey? Um, what I mean by that is I know you, Tanya, well, and I know that you have a very strong passion for this work. Um, and I also know this isn't only your work. So how yeah. do you figure out how to kind of get people on board with you? Mm-hmm. I think it was really about having um, – it's a thousand conversations and talking <laughs> to everybody that you encounter about this work and about why it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is talking to staff talking to students, talking to parents, talking to your school board, talking to your colleagues, um, talking to your community, because you know maybe they don't even have school-aged children, but there's people in the community that it's changing. And I think it was really around how do we really educate everybody um, and bring them to a place where they could entertain the possibility of envisioning a different future uh, for our school community and for kids and thinking about we're growing the next generation of, of leaders mm. and how do you um, create those opportunities so that students and families understand that disability is naturally differing abilities as part of the humanity and it's part of that that complex array of humans that we have um, it's not bad it's good or good it just is um, and how do we continue to have that we had a really strong system of that from a early childhood through fifth grade perspective but we knew that by middle school or secondary level people were making assumptions that we couldn't do this there hmm. um, and so really how do we educate everybody about we want to envision collectively a different future so my question was, who do you start with on your journey? And Tanya says everyone, right? <laughs> so I like that. I like your thinking. Um, I was just in Canada last week, and they used this phrase. They said, we go with our goers. Yeah. And so talk about the difference between the goers and sort of the laggards or those that are last to jump on board. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that really quick. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there is a group of people that when you begin to frame this out and have those conversations, their eyes light up and they're like, oh, I've been waiting mm-hmm. or I've been doing this, but I've been doing it in my little world, mm-hmm. but now we can do it more. So like they're already there. Mm-hmm. They just needed like the nod yeah. and they're like on it which was great. Mm -hmm. Then there's the next group of people that just watched a little bit and then they were on it because Mm -hmm. they saw what happened. Um, I don't spend a lot of time going after the people who just want to tell me that this is not going to work or this is wrong. We really have invested our time and our energy um, and resources into people that that are interested in re-envisioning, are interested in being creative and moving forward. And so that's really where we um, have worked. Yeah, I'm just thinking, um, not that this is your first step, but it often when we talk about this as your last step, when you're working with someone who says, you know, this isn't what I believe in, this isn't what I do, this isn't what I want to do, this isn't what I think is right for kids. Um, you've gone so far to suggest that 
we might make a different match for you in a different place. Yeah. Um, and I know you've done that, and I know most administrators that I've worked with who finally said, we're moving forward. This is called progress. This is what education looks like now, and we're getting closer to the law. So come on board or don't. Yeah. Um, and that's a pretty hard conversation to have, I imagine. It is. You know, we want to give people as many opportunities and support to move forward and feel comfortable um, and have those opportunities. But there does um, sometimes come a time where, you know, if this is who we want to be as a community and we've created a collective of vision mm-hmm. that this is what this community is going to be, um, then it might be time for them to think about it in envisioning their future differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, um A lot of people want to know kind of the how of it. So the question is, you know, as a leader in this system, what is the biggest lever you pulled? So meaning what is the most powerful thing you did to really make this happen? Um, I think that the most powerful thing that I have done was based on the advice of a, a dear mentor of mine. And I said, who do I start with? Like when I start in this role, who do I start with? And she Mm. said, your building principles. Mm. She said, your building principles are the heart and soul of the school. They're who parents see as the leaders or who the teachers see. Like you really need to think long and hard about how you're going to work with them and really thinking about how do we move, um, building principles, to see that they own every kid in their building Mm -hmm. and they own every teacher and they own those experiences. Um, A lot of times, you know, one of my experiences was something would happen in math class and the, you know, the parent would maybe be upset and they would go to the math teacher or they would go to the building principal. Something happens with a student with a disability and as a director, I got the phone call Mm -hmm. and it like bypassed the whole school level. Mm -hmm. And we really talked about like, what what does that mean? What unintended messages have we sent Mm -hmm. to people about what that looks like? And um, just really empowering principals on the why, um, helping them really have a strong understanding of, of, of what is important and them believing for their buildings and creating that message because they also have to motivate. You know, it's kind of that three M's. They need to deliver the message. They need to motivate. They also need to monitor. We need to inspect what we expect. Mm. And they need to be making sure that they are having fidelity to implementation of this work just as much as they would to Readers and Writers Workshop. Right. And so thinking about that, we also need them to be the muscle. And that's back to that point of, you know, we want them to be supportive, but we also want them to be the ones that say, we have supported the staff member, we've supported these employees, and it's not coming along in the direction that we need to, to, to go. And so we need to talk about what is, what's next. Mm. Um, so what are those four M's, Tanya? Um, the messenger, yep. the motivator, yep. the monitor, mm-hmm. and the muscle. Beautiful. So that's what you want for your building principles to sort of serve in those roles. And that is based on John um, O'Connor's work. Okay. I mean, he has a wonderful book called Great Instruction, Great Achievement for Students with Disabilities, um, a roadmap for administrators. Beautiful. Um, And it really talks a lot about how, as a um, district-level administrator, do you really support those building-level principles? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm thinking back to the siloed experience that we were talking about before, and it's almost like first we get rid of those silos, and second we position those principles as um, sort of responsible for all. Just yeah, I like that. Absolutely. Okay, Tanya. So I have one last question, and for podcast listeners, I know that it's a 27-minute podcast at this point, but I know that you're loving it, so it's working out just fine. Um, <laughs> it's going to be about a 35-minute podcast because my last question is a really big one. And I think you can solve a lot of uh, 
heartache for people by answering, you know, what is your, what was your biggest mistake as you started and how could you caution others as they move ahead? Absolutely. So yeah, my pain can be your gain. (laughs) Um, I think my biggest mistake was thinking that if I engaged everybody in the conversation, if I engaged everybody in the data, if I engaged everybody in the lived experiences, they would say, oh my gosh, when can I start? Mm, yes. <laughs> Let's right. start yesterday. Right. And a lot of people did. And that was amazing. But a lot of people experienced what we really need to think about is that that change process and people entering in a different place. And I'm super embarrassed to admit I have a PhD in organizational change. <laughs> I wrote a book on it, a dissertation on it. Right. And I, I didn't acknowledge that. I didn't acknowledge that changing a culture is a process mm. and that people were going to go through different stages. So let's talk about the stages of change um, because I love this piece and I recognize that I don't spend enough time either when working with systems to realize that human beings are going through a process. So let's talk about the steps. Mm -hmm. So um, there's, you know, that research to practice implementation, Mm -hmm. you know, data Mm -hmm. really talks around that. So, you know, most people, you know, there's six stages, Mm -hmm. you know, to changing a culture and Mm -hmm. really thinking about stage one is, you know, people experiencing that sense of loss. Right. And, and how do you help them experience that sense of loss and honor it? And I'm going to give an example as you do each stage. So Perfect. an example would be I used to be a self-contained teacher, and now I co-teach in third grade, and I don't even know what to call myself anymore. That's, that's a quote from somebody who just is feeling a real loss of identity. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, stage two is just doubt. People doubting themselves, doubting the work, doubting if this is right, mm-hmm. um, and just having that that doubt. Mm-hmm. And that looks like people being skeptical. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like a lot of different things, and it looks like fear, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that was one of the things I learned, too, is fear has a lot of different faces. Mm-hmm. Um, I would classify people as angry or crabby mm-hmm. or shut down, and I would not understand that they were in almost a place of of grief, Mm -hmm. um, of loss, or in that doubt. And it was coming out as a lot of different emotions. But underneath, if once people got to the point where they would really share with me, they were super afraid that they couldn't do this this work Mm -hmm. in a new way. Mm -hmm. So it was masquerading as something else, but it was fear. Absolutely. So what's the third stage? Um, People being um, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So that discomfort, like I'm going to do this, I'm going to try it, but I'm not comfortable and this doesn't necessarily feel okay. Mm-hmm. And educators, I know many of them, most of them are just people who want to do what's right for kids mm-hmm. and they're often perfectionists at heart. Mm-hmm. And so that is a big discomfort when I might not know exactly what to do. Yep. Which then kind of moves us into that next stage of discovery. Mm, what's that? Um, and discovery is really beginning to say, okay, I'm not uncomfortable anymore. This has, this feels okay. I'm going to start to, um, you know, be more creative, do the, that discovery, maybe collaborate with different people um, and feel more comfortable with that. 
Mm-hmm. And then is there a last stage? Well, the next one is, is moving to stage five, really moving to understanding. Okay. Like really understanding, putting all the pieces together. Like it's all coming together and things start to click. Mm-hmm. And, and people are feeling like this is amazing and I would never go back to the place that I used to be. Yeah. Um, which then takes us to that last phase and that's integration. This is, this is the culture change. This is now, this is how we do business. Right. And we are now at that area. And I think the other thing is that I didn't realize is that we would go around this wheel <laughs> a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't one time around it. And people went through it at different stages. So I might have one building that's, you know, they're just mad. Mm-hmm. And then I have another building who is like in that stage of like creativity and they're really discovering and they're so excited. Mm-hmm. And putting those people together and having them see people that are at that next phase was really powerful. Wow. So bringing people at different stages together to have conversation about moving to the next stage. And people who are doing similar roles. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is really powerful to have two educators come together and have an open, honest dialogue about where they were and how they were feeling. And being able to share with somebody who maybe went through that cycle they could look back and say wow yep last fall Mm -hmm. this is how I felt and now this is where I'm at so being able to have them connect and tell their stories in that way has been good and I think just accepting people with where they're at Mm -hmm. just sort of open-heartedly understanding that this is a process and that we need to be kind and loving and supportive as people move through this process yeah. Um, and multiple times they might move through this process. Yeah, and I think my, my biggest mistake was not extending the same grace to staff as that we extend to kids and families. Mm-hmm. So just like we would wrap care and concern and supports around a student who is struggling, we needed to do the same thing for staff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if someone wanted to, there's an actual wheel in front of Tanya. If someone wanted to Google the wheel, um, yeah. and it's called... Um, What's it called so people could find it? The reason yes. I'm asking is because if you're an administrator, man, for me, this visual is really useful. Yep. So Fixin and Blase are the two authors okay. um, that do that. And maybe I can just send you some information. You could put it on your website. Yeah, we can does put it on the website. Too? Yeah. And so, so what's the title of the change um, wheel? It's it's Changing Culture is a Process. Okay. Um, and so that's the change wheel that I've primarily looked at good. and used. Mm-hmm. So Good. Yeah. Perfect. Um, I just want to say, Tanya, it's been such an honor to be your friend at through, as you've gone through this process. And um, this work is not easy, and it's not for the faint of heart. Um, do you have any last words for people that are sort of undergoing this work and sometimes feeling pretty alone in the work that they do? Yeah, I think finding your tribe is really, really mm-hmm. important. And I think technology has made it that you can find your tribe all over the, the world. Yeah. Um, I think about my ability to connect with you mm-hmm. um, and just talk through things in a non-judgmental way when it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And I love to do that for other people too. So I think continuing to put yourself in places and spaces where people are talking about this work and finding people that just fill up your bucket mm-hmm. you know, and, and being able to replicate that sunshine because it's really, really easy to get bogged down and caught up um, in those things. And that's fine. You're going to feel those things. But knowing that it can't it can't be the end game. You just got to pick yourself back up and find those people and continue to move forward. Mm. 
So Tanya's been someone who keeps this work at the heart of everything she does and really kind of aligns her practices daily to this bigger idea of inclusion. Um, and I just want to say, so she's someone you can always connect with that um, has been doing this work for a while. So Tanya, do you mind sharing your email address? Yeah, or? not a problem. Okay. Um, my email is F-R-E-D-R-I-C-T at elmbrookschools.org. Great. So Tanya is someone you could send questions to, and let me be clear, she's not sort of available to answer anyone's questions about inclusion, but she might be a really lovely collaborative partner to come together and um, do work and support folks who are doing this work. Um, so send an email, or you can always contact me at inclusiveschooling.com, and I can put you in touch with Tanya. So I want to say thank you for this time today. Um, it's been such a pleasure to be in your district and also to have this conversation. Thank you, Julie. You've been a huge inspiration, and your work has really helped me propel people to think differently and envision a different future for kids. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks.